Did you ever watch Rocket Science? Mm-mm. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. Oh they do. man, That's that like la- hand- that landed with with everybody except me. Yeah, they like go like this. <laughs> they go like this. Uh, their handshake is this. Rocket power. They all wear. They're all like, all have helmets and like elbow pads and knee pads and they skateboard. But they're also surfers. They're at the beach. This sounds like it's very on brand for what I would watch. You, you would essentially. Be in Rocket Power. How did I if miss were, this? If you were in a cartoon, you'd be in Rocket Power. Man. One of the guys has like really curly hair too, with his helmet on. Yes. <laughs> See? Yes. Rocket Power. When you're ready, just launch into that story. All right. I think they're already rolling. Cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was my freshman year of high school. Um, much like any young girl's dream to make her mother proud, I joined the boys' wrestling team. <laughs> um, I was three months into high school, and if you recall your high school time, very vulnerable time, I was still deciding if I wanted to wear butterfly capris or flared jeans. It's mm, a tough choice. Yeah, um, but we were three months in, and I was three weeks into wrestling. Now... For me, wrestling was the first time that I can recall truly having to use every piece of my body to put effort in to something that I was at the time thought was the most challenging thing I'll ever experience. And I recall a specific time where we were in the wrestling room, the windows were fogged, the mats were wet. I wasn't sure if I was getting out of these moves because I was skilled or if it was just slippery <laughs> from sweat. And I remember we finished practice. We do the team clap. And my coach at the time called me Arias, which is nowhere near my last name. But he was like, Arias, <laughs> we need to speak. It sounds like a, like a Greek uh, mythological hero. Maybe then I should Arias. have stuck to Arias. But I was like, it's Arias. Um, so he calls me over and he's like, Hey, and much like any like middle-aged man talking to a 14 year old girl looking her into the eyes was like sweating. And in my head, I was like, so you too are sweating from practice. (laughs) Um, but I can tell that there's like this uncomfort building and he looked at me and there was a lot of hesitation. And in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm dying. I need to go eat. And he's like, Hey, for you to Russell this weekend I actually need you to lose weight and I remember like sitting there for a second mainly because the last thought that I had was how hungry I was and how grueling this practice was and again feeling that uncomfort of okay he's asking me something that's making him uncomfortable Hmm. and that sentence of I need you to lose weight blank became a very defining moment for my high school career It was truly the first time that I started to be exposed to what I would consider disordered eating. In wrestling, it looked a lot like, man, we would spit like saliva into water bottles. Like, oh, gotta make weight. I'm gonna spit into this water bottle till I weigh in. It was wearing like, (laughs) like trash bags into the sauna. And I mean, even to the point where we'd get jump ropes out with these sweatsuits and just like jump rope over and over and over again until we were like profusely sweating. From there, for powerlifting, it looked like 
literally only eating ground turkey and broccoli. And then if you really needed to make weight, you ditched the ground turkey and then you only ate broccoli because it would expand your stomach. <laughs> um, I I didn't date at the time because you can imagine what um, my bowel situation was. Um, it, made, it made dating hard. Yeah, very challenging. Very <laughs> challenging. Um, and then from there, like I remember really specifically, I was a competitive cheerleader at the time. We went to ESPN, um, which is in Disney World, and we were doing cheerleading nationals. And again, like a bunch of high school girls, Disney World's closed. I mean, we're talking churros. We're talking like the Mickey Mouse shaped ice cream. Carte blanche. Like you, ha- you had your run of the park? Yes. Wow. Yes. It was closed just for cheerleaders. And I remember going to this and thinking like, I won't be tempted at all. I have state coming this weekend like literally i was gonna land from the plane and two days later like go to wrestling state or sorry powerlifting state and i was like oh i'll be fine like whatever and then i saw the mickey mouse shaped ice cream Mm. it's like i've gotta have it you you didn't know i've gotta have it and i remember taking a bite and then immediately i was like i'm not gonna make weight and i grabbed a napkin and i spit into it and i looked around and nobody even like looked at me Everybody was like, yeah, that's normal. You do that, too. And I remember being like, great. That's just what Disney World's going to look like. I'm going to just carry some napkins with me. I'm going to try these things. I'm going to spit into this napkin, and we're all cool with it here. And a lot of that was because also on Friday nights before football games, we would be like, hey, don't eat, or I won't eat if you don't eat, so that we look really awesome in our cheerleading uniforms. And so, you know, I looked at these behaviors as totally normal, as, hey, I'm doing it for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I'm so, like, try hard. Like, I love this sport. And then it wasn't until now, years removed, that I realized I was beginning to write the script of what nutrition was going to mean to me in mm-hmm. my adulthood. We fast forward a little bit to my sophomore year of college. I went to a small private college south of Dallas, DBU, Go Pats. Go Pats. I think that's what they do. I was like the worst attendee <laughs> to any um, spirit-filled thing there, but, um, including church. But anyways, that's another conversation. Um, that's for our next episode. Yeah, for yeah. our next episode. Uh, so I remember sitting in, I mean, class at the time, and I felt super lost of what nutrition was going to look like for me. It was the first time in, I mean, almost 60 years that I didn't have to weigh in for anything I wasn't having to perform a certain way. Like, I wasn't playing any sports at all. I'd actually just had knee surgery. So, I mean, it was completely just out of the the game. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know, I need to take a course or a class. I'm so interested in this to learn about what I should do next. So I signed up for a nutrition class. And this is almost a decade ago that I was so passionate about learning this. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this class. The great thing about going to a private college is that classes are small so I recall stepping in it's like 20 people I walked in I was like I'm way smarter than everyone in this room everyone I sat down my professor steps up I mean this guy has a PhD he is literally probably been studying this as old as I've like or as long as I've been alive it's a nutrition class yeah it's Uh a nutrition class um and I sit down and you know, he starts giving us our first class, like, syllabus. And I just recall being like, God, this is elementary. Like, I know all the tricks in the book. I've got all the information. 
this is going to be the easiest class. You know what? Just ask me to like step up there. I'll bring the presentation. Um, but jokes aside, I remember being like, this guy knows nothing. Like I've lived this. Keep in mind, this class is four to five months long. We're three months in. And I'm still like, this guy's so dumb. This is bogus. I'm like, God, I know <laughs> better than this nice. guy. Yeah. And it wasn't until I realized every piece of information, every piece of truth that he was saying that was scientifically backed, none of that correlated to anything that I'd experienced. Mm. None of it correlated to spitting food into a napkin. Like he didn't talk about that. He didn't ever tell me to go put on a sweatsuit and sit in the sauna. He never told me to, you know, spit water into a bottle if I wanted to lose weight. Like none of what I had believed was true about nutrition was what he was saying. And I remember that being the first time that I was like, maybe I'm not the smartest. Mm. Maybe I don't actually know what I'm talking about here. And so the more that I was decided to take a step back of like, I know everything. And the more that I decided to be like, hey, there's this story of what I know to be true and it's not lying up what science says, there's a mess here. So I started actually listening to what he was saying and I started rewriting the script of what I thought was true of, hey, if I just don't eat XXX or if I do XXX, it'll equal this. And when I started to hear the, hey, no, this is the truth, this is what science says, this is how your body works. Even from, he talked about performance. I remember thinking like, hey, that's nothing of what I know to perform mm. well. And then he even talked about like, oh, what normal people should do. And I was like, well, I guess I'm in that category now and those are for sure not things I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That I started to have to sit down and write out these stories of like, this is what I think is normal. This is what my professor is saying is true. And I realized that everything that I thought was good at the time was not anything I'd be able to do for the long run. Mm. I wasn't going to be able to carry around napkins and spit food in if I was going on a date. Like, that would be kind of weird, <laughs> right? Or, like, going on a date and being, like, in the car, like, I'm just spitting out, you know. Just getting just, like, ready, getting for, ready dinner. for dinner. <laughs> you know, I realized that everything that I was like, hey, this is not aligned with something that I can do forever, then I've got it wrong, and, I, and I've got to rewrite this. And that was the beginning of me, again, a decade ago, rewriting the script on nutrition and digging into what was truth at the time and how am I going to be able to do this forever? Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. We won't make any assumptions that the whole world knows who you are. So I'm sitting here <laughs> with Marcella, Arias, Bruce, is that how the, the wrestling coach said it? Yeah, Arias. Arias. Oh, yes. so much better. Yeah, you said it right, though. Arias and Achilles, <laughs> the two warriors of the Battle of Troy. Um, we've been working together for seven-plus years. Marcella is an amazingly talented coach. To share that story is just a little it's – a, it's a small nugget of lots of things that have – led you towards this path of coaching and coaching in a way that isn't uh, surface level, obviously. Uh, super, super light topic that we're getting into today, which is dissecting disordered eating. And so I'm very happy to be sitting here with you. I was telling you ahead of time that I, 
I just want to be a passenger along with this conversation. Um, we have talked lots about not just disordered eating, but that oftentimes what's on the surface level is not really what's going on. And this thing that we're talking about, um, before I stop talking, is way more common than, and especially how you described it, like all those experiences you, you shared, that feels really par for the course with probably what most kids experience with wrestling or anything where weight or body size and, and image like it is with cheerleading so much. And so I hope today we can leave with some some tangible things that if a coach is watching this, um, they might be able to identify. Um, they can know the scope of our practice, which isn't to uh, necessarily go in and lay hands on them and, and heal anybody of a particular way of thinking. And even the distinction between uh, an eating disorder and disordered eating, which isn't the same thing. So, man, I'm really happy to be sitting here with you. And the best we can, we'll try to keep this funny and light. I might say psych every once in a while or uh, bogus, you know, just to just to kind of keep keep everybody on edge. So where do you want to start? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to differentiate eating disorders from disordered eating, which again, we're going to be talking mostly about disordered eating. Eating disorders are a mental illness. I read something like three years, I mean, before the pandemic, that was somewhere around like 30 million Americans like deal with this. So it's like a really heavy topic, like we mentioned, and, and a lot of people deal with that. Um, but eating disorders are clinically diagnosed as a mental illness, whereas disordered eating is just a disruption and pattern of the way that we should be eating. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is mainly stems from misinformation, whether it was, you know, sports related, like I mentioned earlier, or information related. I mean, nowadays there's constant articles coming out with like the latest diet trends. I mean, I remember at the time when I was trying to figure it out for wrestling, like Atkins diet was super hip. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so remember thinking for years, like, oh, I can't eat carbs. Like Atkins would say like, no, no. So even just information that's like out there, right? Um, we believe is true when there's too much information. So a lot of that comes from, again, like sports related misinformation and some even sense from a relationship. Like how many times our parents said, like, don't eat this, eat that. Um, and a lot of that stems from that. And then we believe those things to be true and that disrupts the way that pattern of eating should be. And I'm not saying like, hey, if you eat four times a day, like, oh, you're not doing it right or anything like mm -hmm. that. But um, any belief that essentially is false. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple things come to mind. One, for a fitness coach, the the conversation and the thoughts around exercise, realistically, are going to pop into our heads as consumers a handful of times, right? Because even if we're really active, we're training for something in particular, uh, we're not going to exercise 12 times a day. However, this script, this narrative that plays through our head with nutrition has to be played a lot more because we have to eat in much greater frequency than we train. And so it's something that as you go deeper into the psychology of this, it's, it's good just to recognize 
how it's necessary to talk to someone on that level because it's being played so much more frequently. And then the second thing is you distinguish between uh, eating disorder and disordered eating is in psychology, there's actually, there's something called a, a dual continua model. And it looks like a cross. And on one axis, it's mental uh, illness, right? So it's true, like you said, true clinically diagnosed issues. And, and the, the continuum of that line is like, hey, you could be diagnosed with uh, anorexia, bulimia, and, and be handling that well or be handling it poorly. On the other axis is what we would call well-being. And so you could, at the top of that line, if you can picture this, um, you could be flourishing as an individual. And so in the context of what we're talking about, where we're focused on is a client's well-being. If anyone uh, comes to us and they says, hey, I think I have bulimia or anorexia, we're not going to say, well, we'll sit down and, you know, let me, let me really try to figure this out for you. Like, that's a, that's a great indication. Like, man, thank you so much for your honesty. Let's bring someone in that actually deals with that, and that's their specialty. And so for us, the, the scope that we're talking about is really how do we take someone from languishing with some of these inaccurate scripts that play in their head of what they should be doing nutritionally to more of a place of flourishing where we change those scripts, where we potentially challenge the things that they think are true in order to make their life better. And as a byproduct of that, typically we see that they lose weight. Typically we see that they perform better. Typically we see that the, the vitality that their life um, improves with has to do with this rewriting. So I just wanted to get that in. Yeah, no, that's so good. Um, in my seven years of, of coaching through nutrition, you know, I've been met with like two very distinct avatars and it's very similar to what we've just been talking about. But avatar one is the person that might not have experienced any type of story writing in the context of nutrition. It's true. They were never told anything around it. They just ate whatever they wanted mm -hmm. and nobody ever said this is good, bad. And so they have no prior beliefs. And that's kind of your avatar one. Your avatar two is someone that has these stories and stories and novels and novels. So we have these two types of avatars here. And it's super easy to, to immediately figure out who you're working with the moment that you start to dig into, let's say, compliance. Mm -hmm. um, if someone comes to me and they're, let's say, chronically under eating protein, great example, super common. I might have avatar one say, like, you got it, no problem. Seven days later, we're following up, and they're like, yeah, I did it. Didn't I do great? And I'm like, you did. And then there's <laughs> Avatar 2, and I'm like, hey, how did it go? And they're like, well, I didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. What, what happened here? And then they're like, oh, I was just busy. And then they get a little worked up, a little hot. And you're like, hey, your breath is heightening. Like, what do you, like, do we need to dispel anything? Mm. And they might say, like, no, 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 yeah, like, like I'll try it again next week. Totally. Let's try it again next week. Now the seven days go by. You have the conversation again, like, hey, how did it go? And then be like, well, you know, 
and they start to meet you with resistance. And that's typically like red flag number one that Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, wait a second. There's so much more to this than me just asking you to eat protein here. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that I would say is coaches start to try to distinguish if there's a distorted eating behavior. It's easy to dispel within the first couple of weeks just based off of those two avatars. Yeah. Do I have a problem here? Are they totally compliant? They trust everything that I'm saying or do I, am I being met with resistance or being met with emotion? Hmm. So avatar one, it primarily could be just an education thing. We were talking about uh, a gentleman whose name shall remain anonymous uh, that you were like, Hey, so, you know, I need you to eat protein with each meal. And he's like, do you know what protein is? And he's like, yeah, got it. Peanut butter. Yeah. Right? He's, he's like, like oh. all day. <laughs> like, cool. Okay. We, you know, Hey, this is a, this is an education issue. Let me guide you along with, with some of these basic principles. But I think in the past, if someone was educated and they didn't do it, we would write them off as a bad client. And we would say, well, you know, they just don't want it bad enough. Or it's like, you know, I just wish they were more motivated. Or, you know, they just need to be more disciplined. And what I hear you saying is there, this second avatar may have nothing to do with motivation, may have nothing to do with their desire to be compliant. And we shouldn't write them off as bad clients that this – this thesis we have that your psychology is bound to your adherence is seen very clearly in this person you're talking about. So it, it sounds like a big part of this is that you have to be in a place where you can pay attention to what they're saying. You mentioned, hey, their rate of speech increases. They cross their arms. Their body language is defensive you see that they start to get flush and they even look uh, like they're a little defensive, that that's a great indication like, hey, maybe there's something more there. Is there anything else? And you may say, no, you know, that's, that's probably like a good first step. But in your experience, is there anything else that you'll pay attention to? Lack of adherence. Um, but as you're trying to, you know, meeting with someone new and distinguishing between these two people is there anything else that you found is really helpful no I think you I mean you nailed the ones that you can visually see um again like the high breath the hot the sweaty the you know rapid speech or even the like oh yeah yeah yeah, but it's fine like the quickly moving on to the next thing um and even sometimes the honesty of like yeah I just like won't do that Mm -hmm. um are indicators of hey I actually need to listen more And I think that's absolutely the first step as a coach when you start to get those red flags that your client might be experienced disordered eating Mm. is your first step is to take a step back and just listen and ask, well, why not? Or tell me, tell me why this is super challenging for you. And is that question usually met with an answer? Do people oftentimes say, oh, I don't know. It is met with a lot of I don't knows. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, I feel like it's encouraging to tell you to keep this light that you're not always going to have the right answer. And my next best advice 
is to ask the same question a little bit different Hmm. or maybe even a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe sometimes it's like, hey, take a deep breath. Say it again. So you can't eat protein. Do you truly think that you cannot eat protein? Mm -hmm. And then see what they say. So a good a good rule of thumb is really to keep asking the same question. Like you've identified, okay, this is this is something that is challenging for them. Way more challenging than I assumed that it would be because it's very straightforward and it's not very complicated. And then to ask the question, what is what is the hang up here? Or or something along that yeah, line? Yeah. Like what what is, what is it in your experience? Uh-huh. Because I've given to me what is the best advice. Mm-hmm. So in your words from you, why do we think it's not happening? Mm-hmm. And where do you go from there? And I can role play if that would be helpful if we want to get more specific with, yeah. you know, maybe something that's pretty common or that a lot of us coaches would come face to face with. No, I think that's great. I think role playing would be good to just walk through like an example of what that might look like. My name is Sunny. Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 24 years old. I'm a female and I believe that I cannot eat carbohydrates and that the amount of food that I think that I should eat is one fourth of the amount of food that you are prescribing me to eat. Does that sound like a good? Gosh, okay. you must have known who I met with yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, so the first step, let's say I did say we need to increase your carbohydrate intake and say we're two weeks in and she's like, I'm not going to do that. You're telling me to eat more. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. And it's a moment. I just don't think <laughs> I, I like need that much. Uh, a little, a little higher. Uh, with a little more days. Like, yes. I just, uh, from what I've read, I just don't think that I. That's. Uh, my question in return would God be. God loves her. <laughs> just no. I think that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're talking about me, like circa 2000, <laughs> no, however many no. years okay. ago. All right, <laughs> okay. back on track. Um, you know, with a question like that or a statement like that, I just might ask, like, well, why do you think you shouldn't be eating that much? Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, <laughs> keep the voice going, Sonny. I what I've what I've read and what I've experienced that I just don't feel like I need to overeat. And I would ask the question, what is overeating for you? This is harder to be that that person. Um, yeah, it's. Overeating is just where I, I feel like I, I have too much in my stomach. Who said that? Well, who 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 told you like or like who said like hey once you feel this you know where where does that come from? Well, my parents would tell me that you know if I ever got full then it would mean I was going to gain weight. Mm. Was that good? Was that a good segue? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in that moment, I would say, hey, let's go ahead and write that down. Mm. I would say write down pen to paper. I believe that I should not eat carbohydrates 
or or as much as that I'm supposed to be eating because my parents said so. Mm-hmm. And then from there, just ask them to read it again. Because at 24, are you still doing what your parents told you to do? And then secondly, if I were to bring science to this conversation, right? Again, no emotion is attached. Like what would the truth be in this situation? Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that as coaches, like you might be looking at this and being like, well, those aren't very good answers. But my job as a coach isn't to have the right answer. Mm. My job as a coach is for them to write down their story. Because what to you might be like, hey, this is a super common story, might be the first time that they've ever realized, like, oh, I believe that I cannot have these carbohydrates because when I was in high school, my parents told me I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And realizing that I'm not trusting, one, the professional, or two, science in itself is because of something that I experienced, you know, nine years ago, whatever. Yeah, I think that's a really great distinction is that most of us start with fitness and we realize okay in order to be good at fitness I have to really improve my skill set and I have to man there's so many rabbit holes you can go down it's like man I need to be really proficient at um, program design and progression and I need to know the human body and you can kind of tell yourself that you need to be this know-it-all to be good and with nutrition it's no different you know even just that statement that you said, I know that you know the science and you know the basics. And so it's a very slippery slope to say, well, I really need to be a know-it-all and I need to have the answers here. But I want to push back on that, that what our clients really need, sure, there's some baseline education. Hey, bro, uh, GIF peanut butter may not be like the best choice. Let me teach you about that. But I think that point stops way sooner than we realize where I don't need to provide all of the answers for my clients. As you said, I need to ask the right questions. I need to ask the question that gets them to recognize without me even saying, hey, you, you, you have uh, disordered eating, to say like, hey, this thing's holding you up. Do you see that? Read that out loud for me. And I think that's that's a um, cuts us some slack as coaches to not be this omnipotent, all-knowing being that has to have all the right answers and to think of ourselves more as riding shotgun. They're holding the reins with these horses. All we're trying to do is like say, hey, you, you see that you see that edge of that cliff that we're going straight forward? What would you think about turning it? a little bit more towards this way. And that to me takes a lot of pressure off because I do want to be perfect. I do want to be, I do want to um, dispel the, the notion that I'm an imposter here. Mm-hmm. But I think this thing that you're talking about is really valuable to hear that that's not, that's not what they sign up for. It's just to be this all knowing being. It's really just to, to be there and to say to them like, hey, do you hear what you're saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And just to see how they respond. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's exactly it right there. I mean, it is a lot easier to unfold a story that you're aware of as a coach. Mm -hmm. If I were to continue to tell Sunny, like, well, just, like, do it, dude. She's going to be like, 
know, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm aware of where she's believing this, then I can help her. Then I can say like, hey, Sunny, remember when I said you needed to eat more? I think we're getting tripped up because of this story. And remember, a story is just a story. You wrote that. This isn't true. What is true? And I think our jobs as coaches in these situations is not to know everything, like you said. We won't ever. Mm -hmm. But our jobs as coaches are to be their advocate, to remind them of truth and of science, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not to, you know, as a coach, I don't need to know how to, like, get into their brain or perfectly write out their story or solve their life problems or, you know, even to solve their disordered eating pattern. But my job as a coach is to be up on knowledge so that when I see these lies, I can tell them, hey, this is what truth is. This is what reality is. This is what science would say is next for you. And remember that story that you wrote when you were 15 years old, like that's a lie. Mm. And so it's easier to have that conversation than to have them say, I'm just not gonna do it. They leave the room and you're like, Gosh, I just, Sunny is so challenging and I'm never going to be able to help her. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure there's been so many, I mean, I know for myself, there's been so many times where I've written people off for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. There's so, there's so many things in there. I think a great, one of, the, one of the great questions to ask is, hey, this thing that you're believing that you think is true, what if it wasn't? Mm. How would that how would that change your life? Like if this thing that your parents told you when you were 15, if you found out that wasn't true, what would your like what would your life look like? Mm -hmm. And it usually has nothing to do with adherence or protocols, but psychologically it'd be like, man, I'd actually feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then from there it's like you have something to anchor it to. And it's like, well, let's investigate that. Mm -hmm. Let's see what science actually says. Let me tell you some experiences I've had coaching other people. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. And you can start to poke holes in this thing that's very near and dear to their heart in a way, like you said earlier, it's like, hey, what if, because you're 24 years old, what if you decided that maybe some of your thoughts were different than your parents? Do you have anything up to this point that isn't exactly like you thought when you were 15? Oh, there is, huh. And you don't do it with this sarcasm and uh, <laughs> condescending voice that I have right now. But, but it sounds like that's a one, a process. I can't tell you how many times I've finished a conversation with someone and felt like a failure because I didn't have all the answers or I asked a question and I, I really thought it was this softball pitch that they were going to knock out of the park and they whiffed and they struck out. But these people that have stories, much like yourself, much like me, they're not dum-dums. They're experiences that, that quite possibly had a really high emotional charge to them. Um, maybe there was some shame, maybe there was some guilt, maybe there was some kind of pressure. And when that's involved, it clouds our judgment. And this process that you're describing, it's a whole nother podcast in and of itself of trapping something on the paper, getting them to say it out loud, slowing down their speech 
so it creates distance from their emotions that they had when they were originally experiencing it, that by itself is really powerful. And it may take weeks for that to land. When it's not your story and you're listening to it, it's very clear, right? It's very evident. But all that to say that if you hear this and you're a coach, don't be discouraged if you leave that sit down with the, the client and you say, like, man, I don't know if we got anywhere. Because as many times as I've failed, it's been really encouraging to have someone come back two weeks and say, hey, you know what I thought about that? And it was the thing that you were hoping they would say right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. That to me is pretty cool. Yeah. And then the last thing I would just add to that is if you're a client and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, I just noticed that I think I have disordered eating. Like, hey, there's no there's no shame or guilt or anything in that. If anything, it should be encouraging to know, hey, actually, I'm just believing lies. And all I need to do is rewrite the script to this. And I'll find so much more freedom. And I'll actually realize that these lies aren't going to rule over me. I don't have to spit in the napkin for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the encouragement there for clients listening to this as well is, hey, you're not stuck here. And if anything, hire a coach that's ready to walk you through that story. Yeah. And your coach might know, not know all the answers, but they can help you. They can listen. And then as you write that story... Well, then you too can work through that. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I I feel like that's hard to, to top. Thank you for being on here. <laughs> I hope this is the first of many that we do together. Thank you. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Maybe we just... The next time, not like after I just got my wisdom teeth pulled. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if next time, if we could get you on here while you're on the pain medication, I think that would be mm. a real special this experience. Good. This is good. Next time, if that does happen, I'll probably wear my ruffled socks on my hands. <laughs> hey, before we get off, I feel like it's a disservice to those that are watching this that they don't know what your shoes and socks look like. Can we get this in the camera somewhere? Ruffled. Wow. Ruffled socks. All joking aside, I was thinking about this, and here's how we'll close. This stuff we're talking about, you and I believe it's exactly where fitness needs to go. It's incorporating psychology into what we do. It's thinking through protocols and practices that typically don't find themselves on a gym floor. But in my mind, and and we've had so many great conversations, there's no way to to separate them anymore. So if this is something that you like, join us. The difference between a lecture and a sermon is a lecture, you don't care if one person is there or a hundred people, the message is the same. With a sermon, you realize that it matters quite a bit that there's people that feel the same way that you do. It's not just uh, disseminating information. And so I share that, that the call to action in this video is if you like what you're hearing and this resonates with you, then join us. And guess what? If you've made it to the end of this video and you think this is stupid, then don't. (laughs) It's as simple as that. But I would challenge that if you've made it to the end of this video, there's something there. 
And with that, we'll see you on the next episode.